we're using the gifts of this human system to be able to bring stillness to body, stillness to breath, stillness to prawn, stillness to mind and senses. And it is in the stillness that we're out, which means to be removed from the constant movement of defining ourselves through movement and activity and desire. It is in that stillness that we are able to recognize that I am pure, I am free, I am forever. And with that recognition, when the eyes open, it allows me then to live in that space in a powerful, subtle way where I'm not being governed by the rise and fall of the emotions, by the language of the world telling me I need to buy this, I need to have that, you become needless. Welcome to A Curious Yogi Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby, here to illuminate your practice as we discover what it means to walk the yogi's path. Together with wise friends and awakening teachers, we uncover the answers to our greatest questions. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious. Welcome back to the show, Curious Yogis. This week's Seeker of Freedom is once again my dear friend and great teacher, Noah Heaney. Noah was on the show back in Season 1, Episode 6, where he shared his brilliant story of transforming his life from one of self-destruction to one of freedom and bliss. Highly recommend going back for a listen. In a nutshell, he spent the last 20 plus years in the Himalayas in a specialized mastership program at the International Meditation Institute under the guidance of an enlightened being. In this episode, we dive into the subtle yet powerful energies of prawn and chi and how we can utilize them to refine our practice and our lives. Noah showers us with knowledge that we can both contemplate and apply to improve our current state of affairs. His lifetime of devotion and study shine brightly with his teachings and expression. I'll say right off the bat, if you have the chance to catch one of Noah's online workshops, I recommend, and you'll probably see me there as I try not to miss his rare and impactful sessions. An episode that begins and ends with laughter is definitely worth a listen in my books. So enjoy. Welcome back to a Curious Yogi Podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me back again, my friend. It's always a delight to meet with you in this way and taking that curious nature of the human mind and refining it through inquiry and exploration. And so it's a great honor to be in this presence and in this atmosphere with you so thank you <laughs> yeah it's so inspiring like what we were just saying before about mm. the chance to just keep the conversation going and how the conversation just kind of supports and carries the sadhana absolutely that's what i love about when you and i get together and speak about our subject matter today in terms of pran and chi it's just an ongoing exploration and study and kind of celebration of this very unique life force that we have been given. Each and every single human being has this pranic life force living inside of them. But what is that potential? What can we open to? Something much grander than what we think mm. ourselves to be, what we believe ourselves to be. And so mm -hmm. any opportunity to speak in this way, I think, does us uh, a great benefit. Yeah, it's pretty powerful mm. and yet subtle. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing about it. For me, I've found that it is in the subtlety lies the power. 
often when we think of power, it's something that can be very gross, very physical. And sometimes that can be powerful. And certainly when it, in regards to our breathing, sometimes there are more physical ways that we breathe depending what the system needs. But in my 25 years of exploring the subtle realms of pran and chi, um, I have found that the subtler it becomes, the more powerful it becomes. And by that I mean the more aware we become of the source of this life force, the source of our breath, the source of even our mental breath is thinking. That to me, that, that's where the power lies. Not in dramatic forms of breathing or speaking, but getting to the source of these ways we express ourselves. We use our breath to speak. We use our hands to speak. We use the pran, which moves our breath. Everything is there guided. What is its purpose? How can we bring it into a place of subtlety so we can recognize the truth of who we are and live a life of subtlety and, and divine power and recognition? And most of all, to be able to see that the life force in you and the life force in me is the same life force. We have differences in terms of how our minds have been shaped but the same pran that moves your mind moves my mind. And recognizing that life is the same helps us to move beyond the boundaries of either a gender discrimination or a hierarchical in terms of this person makes more money or a change or discrimination in the pigmentation of our skin. When it comes to breath, breath is not a religion. Breath is not a creed. Breath is not a gender. Breath is neutral. And through the neutrality of breath, we actually recognize the indivisibility that we are beyond all of these designations that often shape our lives. Mm, beautiful. I'm just wanting us to kind of go back to the, I guess, basics, but it's not really basics for a moment. For sure. Because I know as a yoga practitioner, we learn so much about pran and it's often described as the cosmic life force or the vital life source. And that I've kind of heard that there's a similarity with qi in Chinese philosophy or Taoism. Can you just mm -hmm. kind of touch on what is pran, what is qi? Yeah. And then we can get to that, which is prior to the pran and Absolutely. Qi. Thank you very much for kind of reining me in. Sometimes I... In my, in my enthusiasm, I tend to take it into the subtle, but I agree with you, it's important that for the listeners who are, who are not familiar with it, that we have some sort of basis on which we can build as to what pran is, what is its similarity to chi. And so in regards to your question, the word pran or chi is basically signifying the same thing. Uh, you know, throughout the great civilizations of, of this world, there have been sages and saints, whether in China or Japan or here in India or the Mayans or the Aztecs, have recognized that there has been this underlying life force, this divine force that permeates every facet of our lives. You know, we can look at it in terms like of its cosmic presence, but what is it in me that's like, what is it that moves my breath? What is it that gives the beat to my heart? What is it that allows my food to churn, to, to the blood to circulate in my body, for my eyes to see? Everything has, has its support through this pranic life force. Without it, nothing is in existence. There's actually a, a great story in, in one of the, the ancient or timeless texts of India. And in it, all the gods of the senses, gods and goddesses of the senses, the shaktis are arguing amongst each other as to who's the most superior. 
so the eyes are arguing with the with the ears and the ears are arguing with the with the mouth and so all the senses are are battling saying who's the most important in the life of a human being and then there's the pran devta the pran being who's just kind of watching all the senses including the mind who's also thinks very supportive and very very powerful and they're all arguing amongst each other but pran is just watching them and at some point they all decide Pran is still watching this, then the, the gods and goddesses of the senses decide, well, they'll remove themselves from the body and then we'll see how powerful each one is. And so the power of vision removes itself from the body and the eyes, so the body doesn't have a capacity to see, but its body's still intact. And so the power of audition removes itself. The body can't hear, but it's still intact. And so the touch, taste, and, uh, and then the mind removes itself from the body and the body falls asleep, but it's still intact. And so this doesn't prove anything, and so they start to fight amongst each other again. And then Pran, by this point, has had enough of all their argumentation. And so Pran begins to withdraw itself in the body, and the body begins to wither and die. And then suddenly all of the powers that the vision claimed as its own, the ears and the, and the touch and the taste and the smell, suddenly they begin to lose their power and they turn towards Pran and they realize that Pran is what gives them the power, even to the very mind itself that wants to claim that it is my life energy. So what this simple story is actually describing is that without pran, our senses don't function. Our mind can't move. But it's also indicating that if we want to transform the life, our human life, to be able to, to live a life of peace and contentment, it's through pran. Pran transforms our mind, can transform our system, giving vibrant health, calming and balancing the mind, but then opening into something much deeper. It all depends on what one wants. Mm. But how we access Pran is through the simplicity of our breath, which is always with us from the moment we are born as if to the moment the breath is no longer in the body. Pran is the gift, the gift of the divine to us in the form of our breathing. Mm -hmm. And so, and Qi is merely the same thing. Qi Gong just means a skillful way, a with wisdom, how we utilize this life force through movement and through breath. Again, for the purpose of physical benefits, mental, emotional, or something deeper. Pranayam, ayam just means the expansion beyond the limitations of the breath that moves in and out. Again, it all depends on what one wants. The more expanded we come about who we are, the greater the joy, the greater the love, the greater the peace that all of us are seeking that is there. And so, Pranic breathing or the use of qigong, something very simple, helps to enliven and enhance our lives as human beings and ultimately opening into that which is divine. Mm. That's very beautiful explanation and it's interesting because I think so often people hear pran or qi and just associate it directly with breath. But actually the way that you're describing it, it's much more expansive than simply the breath. It's, it's I'm, what I'm hearing you say is it's accessed through breath and movement, but it's not the breath itself. That's correct. That's often a misconception that breath and prawn are one and the same. No, prawn is the power that moves the breath, that moves our mental breath as of our thought. And same with same with chi. And so, because prawn is so subtle for most of us, that it has to be, as you beautifully said, it's our access point something that is tangible, knowable, how I become familiar with the breath. And as our system becomes more subtle, as we become or move into more 
intimate relationship to our breathing then our understanding of prawn our ability to work with prawn to visualize it and to move it becomes much more open towards us but for most people it's just learning to become aware of how we breathe what does it mean to breathe how do i breathe what's the quality of my breath it's like the very first technique is not a technique but simply become aware of what it means to breathe what's the speed of my breath am i comfortable with breathing is my inhalation more familiar to me or is it my exhalation? We're simply taking awareness into the gift of our breathing and simply becoming aware that we have this ability to breathe, life breath. Now what we do with it is all depends on, again, what I've said numerous times, what do I want in my life? And breath can provide that in a very powerful way. Would, would you say that like Asking when one asks himself the question, What do I want with my life? Even moving and connecting with Pran can allow that answer to arise. Perhaps if one doesn't have that answer yet, I know people have written into the podcast asking questions like, What is the purpose of my life? and mm -hmm. these big existential questions as humans in the world, we feel pressure to answer, and also that deeper sense of wanting to be in the answered state. And it's like, it's kind of like two, the prawn can be accessed in both sides of the question, wanting the, the answer, wanting to, the question to arise, what is it that I want with my life? And then accessing the prawn to get the answer illuminated. What do I want with my life? Absolutely. It's a very, it's a, as you said, it's been a question that's been asked since time immemorial. What is my purpose? What am I meant to do? What is life? And so, for most of us that question can be asked and has been asked and will continue to be asked but it's very difficult to receive the answer to, as you said to the profundity of that question especially when the system is not designed our human system is so much into activity and becoming and proving and defending and doing and, and self-promotion all of it and so there comes a point in someone's life where this question comes up but to actually receive the answer is not going to come necessarily from someone, from someone outside. But in my own life, I found that through my breath or through access to breathing and settling the system, it brought a state of quiescence that allowed the answer to come with a sense that what I want is to be peaceful. I want to be able to, to live this state from moment to moment. That became clear. When the system became settled, I can't listen and I can't be aware of the answer when there's too much chaos in my mind, when there's that striving and seeking. But as you beautifully said, through the work of pran, or pranayama or qigong, the system becomes quiet and I can, I'm able to hear my highest voice from within. And that answer will be unique to each person. I know the purpose of my life and I could certainly describe it to others what their purpose is. But I think it's for each and every soul to come to that. I'm not here to tell them what it is. Allow them, if I offer anything, is an opportunity to transform their system and to see the wonder of the answer that comes. It may come in numerous ways. It may, may come from someone. You suddenly hear them say something. It's like, yes. Or it may come in the quietest moments as an inspiration, as a recognition or realization of something that was inaccessible as long as I was always moving and doing. Mm -hmm. 
That's kind of made me think of what I said to you yesterday when we were having our Chipron exploration <laughs> is how the tendency of the mind and the body is to just do and even with sadhana which is a sattvic happening in the mm. yogi's life is to we do sadhana to become more subtle and realize our own self mm -hmm. but somehow even the sadhana can become sort of forceful and mechanical and especially living in the world and being a human being it can be that very gross like quality so I think for me and perhaps people listening there is that awareness that the system not needs to but there's the desire for the system to refine so that the awareness can shine perhaps a little brighter mm -hmm. but how can we start to practice that like I know you said just start by watching the breath but in the craziness of the mind and the unending thoughts and the unendingness of doing and forcing where is the place to begin with this exploration of pran which is great question so when you just describe the nature of the human system as it is influenced by the world with the kind of chaos and busyness we have to begin with a structure we can't begin with the subtle and so as i said beginning with just watching the breath that's the very first step but then beginning to use ways to um, to have a count that goes along with your breath to introduce ways of taking our attention which is very easily distracted and bringing in like a mantra or very simply I watch my breath and I count om one, om two, om three, om four, om five I pause, I exhale Om one, and I'm saying this inside as I exhale. Om one, om two, om three, om four, om five. So I bring a ratio in because the mind needs something to begin with. Otherwise, just to watch the breath, for any one of us, we can see how the mind will wander to, well, I need to do this, or I need to, or why didn't I do this? And so a structure is absolutely needed, and for some time, because that's the nature of our minds that requires some, some structure to to calm the chaos. What you were describing yesterday in the terms of your own practice, because you've been practicing for so long, there comes a point where that inspiration is to explore beyond the structures. I practiced so many years and the structures have given me a strong enough foundation, but from within there's the inspiration to move deeper, to be more fluid, to more adaptable, to more exploratory beyond the structures. But to begin with, having a structured way of breathing, having a certain sets of pranayams, beginning with, as I said, watching the breath, but then the foundation of all pranayams. Like as you know, as a, a great yoga teacher, the, the mountain pose is the foundation of all of the hundreds of poses. What is the mountain pose of pranayam? Abdominal breathing. We breathe in the abdomen as children, and somehow, through the course of our maturation into adults, our breath moved away from the power and simplicity and nourishment of breathing abdominally and suddenly moved into the upper regions of the chest, which was a breath only designed for the flight and fight response. And so a lot of the work, or a lot of the invitation rather than work, is to get reacquainted with our abdominal breath and to bring ratios, as I said, to give ourselves something, the mind, to focus on. 
You can count, there's ways of you can count the breath, beginning with balanced ways of counting. Inhale for a count of five, exhaling for a count of five, and increasing that or decreasing it. Like there is no shortage of different ways that the science and the the devotion of, of pranayama system has been given by the sages and saints, all depending on what one wants. Where we start with foundation, become aware of your breath, start to connect with your abdominal breath. You can learn to balance it. You can learn to access longer inhalations to give you more energy or longer exhalations to, to harness the power of relaxation. But we need to start with a foundation. And that often is found with abdominal breath. And then there's Kapalabhati, which is the abdominal breath, which activates the active exhalation, passive inhalation. And one of my favorites, and one that I've taught very often, is alternate nostril breathing, which is so potent and so, um, so effective and so immediate. The effect on someone's system as you balance the qualities of the sun and the moon, of the yin and the yang in the human system. And so, yeah, we begin with a structure. And for some time, build upon that structure add to your exploration or keep it very very simple but as i said before there'll come a point where it's like let me be more playful let me move beyond my structure and that's the time until that moment takes place stay with the structure and that becomes a i think something that we need to anchor ourselves in the torrid movement of this world that's always pulling us out believe to move within and what can i do to this mind to settle it give it a breath structure, or use the mantra. Whatever is needed, there's no shortage of it. So mm -hmm. have that foundation mm -hmm. and then build upon it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yesterday when we were practicing as well, I found it so beneficial and illuminating the way that you instructed the awareness to move through the prawn to the different organs and the association with the body and the mind as one body-mind connection and and how those points can become blocked and how we can use the prawn to open them up. Can mm -hmm. you shed a little bit of light onto that practice and absolutely. the power in it? Yeah, so absolutely. So the practice we were working yesterday borrows from the Taoist tradition and it's called the Six Healing Sounds. And so the ancient sages and saints from that region must have observed either nature because the sounds from here are very kind of organic in, in, in how they're expressed. And they discovered that there were certain sounds that were pronounced or expressed that helped to undo emotions that become lodged and locked in the vital organs of the body. For example, you know, as human beings, we go through spaces of, of grief when there's a loss of someone or something in our life. There's nothing wrong with the emotion per se, but when emotions become prolonged or when they become suppressed for whatever reason, like in the case of grief or sadness, it becomes repressed or, or prolonged, then they discovered that that grief and that sadness sits heavy in the lungs and then disrupts the, the movement of our ability to take in and to offer, which is our natural gift in terms of how we breathe. And so they discovered that certain organs like the liver would house anger and conflict. The heart had impatience and, and the struggle between attraction and aversion. And so they found that there were certain sounds associated with vital organs of the body, along with colors and along with certain movements that took these 
kind of energetic emotional residues which were obstructing the flow of life force and allowed them in such a simple and profound way to open up the life force and the result is as you were describing yesterday and we feel a much more settled foundation much more comfortable in your own skin as to who you are rather than these being pulled and holding on to things that sometimes we're not even aware of but still remain housed and it's only actually when that area is released where suddenly it's like you know your breath suddenly deepens your you feel energetically the heart open and everything becomes brighter and you didn't even realize that because of the the weight of the energetic kind of uh, pattern that we were holding unbeknownst to us gets released and that's what i always want to bring simplicity Simplicity is where profundity lies. Simplicity is where power lies. And the practice we were doing yesterday uses simple sounds, simple movements, simple visualizations, and the result is sitting in yourself in a much more settled, powerful, truthful way of being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, I found it really powerful and interesting because bringing the awareness to specific uh, energetic points in the body which mm-hmm. are connected with the organs mm-hmm. it's just the way that we move as soon as we open our eyes is just kind of compartmentalized so to recognize the subtle connection between those mental emotional qualities that you just said with those specific areas in the body is such a simple practice but yet probably not accessed by a large number of people, you know? I, I would agree. And, and this is, to, this is uh, the unfortunate thing. You know, if we could have been taught this as children, our lives may have turned out quite differently. Or our ability to, to know how to work with a remarkable human system. Like we don't come, parents are not given, you know, a, a manual, or we're not given manuals on how to work with our minds and how to work with our bodies for most of us. And we end up, as you were saying before, and what you were describing, you reminded me of how disintegrated, how fragmented our life can be. But the fact is that the mind and body connection, it is one whole. And through this work we integrate, we take the fragmentation into integration, and through that integration allows us to recognize that the body and mind are one whole being fed and nourished by the pran and it opens us up to a simple and again profound way of being because our per- we don't feel comfortable in disintegration and fragmentation it's about hol- it's about becoming more holistic which means recognizing the whole of what we are the totality of what we are rather than being drawn out by the fragmentation of the senses that are always pulling us in so many directions in the mind, trying to find some measure of, of peace and satisfaction. So I love what you just brought out. It's like, although, you know, the heart and the lungs appear to be separated and the feet and the arms, but it is one whole, it is one system, it is one body. And when we learn to integrate it and use it in a, in a, in a beautiful and, and simple way, then our lives become more integrated and whole. And the result, I think, is, is very, very noticeable and, um, and, again, powerful in the life of, of someone that is just trying to find some measure of, of wholeness and peace. Mm-hmm. It does illuminate the, the essence or the prawn that permeates the whole experience. Like when we sit in the practice of 
pranayam or qigong, whatever the practice is. And like you said very beautifully and clearly and simply that we start to refine the system or settle the system so that we can begin to come to that space which is prior to the pran. Can we speak about that a little bit? Absolutely. So this this is a, a beautiful now lead into the purpose of settling our system and like with, with yoga, as you know, to be able to, to train the body to sit in stillness. Pranayama is the subtler anga of the limbs and allows us to transform our prawns so our minds become settled. But all of these practices, where that expansion, where that openness to the truth of who we are comes is meditation, meditation, meditation. These are what these practices are for. Because w without the ability to to withdraw our attention from our constant involvement with, through the mind and senses into the world, which has its place, absolutely. But if we want to get to a place of balance and peace and love that is ever-present and unending, then meditation is what is needed because you can do all the work, like there are great breath practitioners, and you can learn to extend your breathing and great... Um, physical practitioners of yoga who are extremely flexible. But unless we know what those practices are for, which as I said, to be able to sit in meditation, because it is in meditation where the prawn rises, which are, where our sense of who we are, our sense of I, opens beyond simply the human existence where I'm defined by my mind and my emotions and my experiences. What is at the basis of that? What is the underlying reality? I've described pran, but even pran as this universal life force has its home. And that space can be called guru, it can be called God, it can be called Krishna, it can be called pure source. But without meditation, there is no direct experience that we will have of that source, that which we are in this moment. We're not creating it, we don't need to become that. We're using the gifts of this human system to be able to bring stillness to body, Stillness to breath, stillness to prawn, stillness to mind and senses. And it is in the stillness that we're out, which means to be removed from the constant movement of defining ourselves through movement and activity and desire. It is in that stillness that we are able to recognize that I am pure, I am free, I am forever. And with that recognition, when the eyes open, it allows me then to live in that space in a powerful, subtle way where I'm not being governed by the rise and fall of the emotions, by the language of the world telling me I need to buy this, I need to have that. You become needless. Your sense of who you are becomes so grand, like a light that's shining, that is self-effulgent, not dependent, but in no way denies others, denies the world, but you recognize, and this is getting very deep now, that, the, that this life that we have is the underlying reality to all of the expression of world, and that's who I am. My eye sense moves from the individual, and then through meditation opens to recognizing I am the actually indivisible being. That's the aim and purpose of all of us. Some are more on a more circuitous route, more scenic route, and there's nothing wrong with that. That is not in any way denigrating them. We need to learn to explore. And there comes a point in our lives where it's like, okay, I've explored a lot, 
but let me try, as you're saying, a different way of moving beyond the structure and to start to explore something deeper. We start to find that inner yearning for something more in our lives. What that is, we may not grasp initially, but then we meet the right teacher or we find the right book and suddenly it just clicks and you start to go, this is what I'm seeking. Let me use the time given to me in order to make that something real. Like this, this knowledge of Pure Free Forever is not a philosophy. It is real. It is tangible. It's who we are. It's, it's lying there at the very heart of who we are. It just appears to be covered. Pranayama is a way of, um, of removing those coverings. And as I said, in the stillness of this physical system, recognizing the infinite space we are. And it sounds like maybe to a listener, well, that doesn't sound very practical. Nothing could be further from the truth. The practical and the spiritual, the, the worldly and the spiritual are integrated into one whole and you become more powerful, more loving, more clear and are able to act in this world in a very different way than most people are driven by the sense of need, the sense of lack. As I was saying before, you're not driven by anything other than by the, the infinite love that you are, the infinite joy that you are. And for such a being, it becomes a beacon for others who say, I want to live the way you're living. Those, those ones have become gurus. And if that guru is so compassionate and generous to say, I'll, I'll teach you, I'll show you what has allowed me to live this, and I'll show you that you're the very same being, and I'll inspire you. And that's what the guru does. The guru inspires and, and awakens and arouses in the listener that you are that same guru consciousness, infinite and pure, but now the work rests with you. And so there's that inspiration that we've got to put in our work, so to speak. Mm-hmm. The word that I kind of hung on to there when you were speaking was coming to that needless state. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, as, as practitioners or seekers, we all really do desire to be in that needless state of santosh, you know, complete contentedness. Mm-hmm. And yet the, the longing inspires the pranayama and the practices and the satsang and it carries on in that way. Can you speak a little bit about how we practice and do the work and remain in that seat or the heart of the knower of Pure Free Forever as we practice? I think for most of us, um, the word needlessness is not something that's part of our, you know, our how we often express what we seek. And, and that's because for the life of a human being, you know, we are filled with lots of need and wants and desire. You know, our, our, our desire, as I was saying before, I think, that our desire is for satisfaction or love or recognition or a sense of wholeness. And so that drive, that desire is actually the yearning for our source. But because of the nature of our mind and senses, which is outwardly oriented, where we're seeking all of that is in a field of constant change. And so we will never arrive at our heart's desire, which is to find that needless state where my sense of satisfaction is not dependent upon some external circumstances. It is self-effulgent. In terms of the other part of your question, our practice is simply to to recognize that my heart's desire is to actually know the truth of who I am. 
and to use this system, and I think your question was also the awareness and presence of the knower, which is the indication of our source, in such a way that I'm able to settle this system. And we find too, like in the same way, let me just give a very simple example. After we eat food, we are needless. We don't need to eat any more food. But then another desire comes up. The mind goes, well, now I want to watch something or I need to do something. And this goes on and on and on. But through the practice of pranayama and through the practice and the wisdom of meditation, we get to that space, we open to that space that is just complete and in of itself. There is no desire then. There's nothing to want to become or to achieve. That needless state is the truth of who we are. And it is so simple, as I was saying before, it's easily accessible when we just take the time to pause, to sit and to watch the breath to calm the system and then to allow that system just to relax and just become aware of the pause between our breathing, the pause between our thinking, which is always hungering for something, but it is in the stillness in that pause is the window into that needless state. Our only, our only invitation at that moment is to acknowledge that this space is me. If I don't take that opportunity, the mind will discount it because our mind is always seeking the satisfaction in something. And so we just become aware that as a knower, I'm knowing the things and forms around me. I'm knowing that I'm hungry. But as we move and take that presence of the knower into our practice, we become aware that in the space where there is no movement of any kind, I'm no longer knowing something. I'm just the knowingness, the knowingness that is the basis of all life everywhere. And that state of knowingness is needless. And before you were speaking about, I can't remember how you put it, but when we're in that space or awareness of the knower, there's that infinite well of love and oneness mm -hmm. and connection and just that's high as if space. And I think everyone listening can know they've had an experience of experiencing the needless state if we had to experience it on that level and that feeling of it feels right it feels truthful to live in that and mm -hmm. when we're in the state of duality and contractedness and separation or judgment or any of those qualities there is a sense it doesn't it's it feels untrue when you talk we're talking about the changing and the unchanging like when we're in that state that we experience in meditation or between the breaths and the pranayama, that state of purity, that the being inside recognizes that as my true state. Yes. And then I think this is also the time memorial question is how do we remain in that state? You know, there's then we reach the desireless state and then we want we desire to remain mm -hmm. in the in that in that state. And of course how to reconcile that as we go back into our responsibilities and yeah. our jobs and all the things we have to manage daily. Yeah, so, so that's our, and that's a great question too, like once you've touched that space, and everyone has at some point in their life touched the truth of who they are, they may not have recognized it, but let's say someone who looks at a sunset and their attention, their knowing becomes so engrossed in the sunset that the mind becomes settled 
and they experience a sense of peace. They're actually experiencing the truth of who they are. The sense that just happened to be the object that they brought their attention to and it settled and they felt joyful or ease or peaceful. But then because of the nature of our senses, then, then I'm suddenly my mind pulls me into something else. And so to answer your question, how do we live that from moment to moment? I think it's important that we know that it's not something that we can hold as an egoic mind. It's like as much as the ego would like to hold on to it and to possess it, to make it, make it its own, it's not within the capacity of our ego mechanism, which is basically the mechanism I am, I am name, I am form, and the inherent nature of the ego to possess. It's like we, we can't hold it. But in the same way, very simple example, if I have a cloth that is completely white and I keep putting that cloth into a blue dye, every time the cloth is removed from that blue dye, it becomes bluer and more blue and more blue until eventually I withdraw it and that white cloth is now completely saturated with the blue color. In the same way, through meditation, when we keep taking our cloth-like mind, which is now colored with the world, and we keep putting it back into the space of meditation, preparation through, medita preparation through pranayama, we keep dipping the cloth-like mind again into the space of meditation, into the knower, into pure free forever, then every time that mind, as if comes out, it is colored with the truth of who we are. And so there comes a point where I don't leave that state. In fact, we never leave that state. It's just the movement of our mind that says, well, at one moment I felt so blissful and so free and now I feel like I'm contracted and I'm worried. We simply in that moment became identified with our thinking mind and got caught in the cycle of our thinking and it's like the clouds obscuring the sun. And so the sun is shining. Our sense of who we are, our truth is always shining, but the clouds of our mind make us feel like I'm no longer shining as I once was. And so our practice of yoga and pranayama clears the clouds so I keep going the sun is who I am the space is who I am that love is who I am and there comes that moment of realization that moment of grace where there is no sense that I've come out that I've lost anything that moment is is what we call self-realization and how we you know how we arrive at that is just continue to do your practice practice patience perseverance we practice as much as we can throughout our day, remembering, breathing, settling the system. We practice with, with patience. This doesn't happen overnight. You know, in our day and age where so much information is made available like that, especially through our cell phones, when it comes to the practice of sadhana, it requires patience. It's not going to happen overnight, but the payoff is so profound. You'll start to see the fruits of your practice and that will keep you going. That will keep you going, yes, something is happening. You start to feel a rising awareness and that becomes something that is very, very important. And the third is most important to, to persevere. Those moments where I feel overwhelmed by the world, my mind just goes, I, I can't possibly be pure free forever. I'm worried, I'm afraid of what's going on, you know, rising costs of living and, and everything that seems so insurmountable. In those moments where we feel alone and isolated is when our practice becomes that much more important to be able to persevere with, 
you know that's why the the yogi is a is a warrior to to rise to have that sense of courage in the moments where we feel defeated and most importantly it's not a solo path to have the company of other yogis to meet in the satsang situation where we can support each other to help remind each other of this because you know it can be it can become insurmountable and we can forget very easily but to remember requires a different kind of shakti but as long as we keep singing and and celebrating a meeting as you and I are meeting that helps to keep that sense that I haven't lost the truth of how I am. I am always pure free forever. Let the mind function, let the body function, let the world shout its voice. But I know that I am centered and you can't, once you realize you're centered, you can't be pulled to the periphery. Because when you're the center, then you're the whole. Then there's nothing that's separate from you. Even the mind, even the world. But nothing can unseat you when you're seated in the whole of who you are. Pure, free forever. Amaramham, Mm, beautiful so I just want to it's so blown and profound and Mm. not to bring it so much to the practical again but I'm just thinking of when one is practicing pranayama Mm -hmm. practicing meditation and like you so beautifully said the awareness is rising the awareness is expanding Mm -hmm. and when we are working with pran or looking at pran or chi and it's it has this permeating power which permeates everything and then there's this idea or um, understanding of oneself as the knower what can we experience i'm just like because one might get identified with the pran as the power that's permeating all but where do pran and knower be where are pran and knower one i know they don't become one they are one but how can we contemplate that Right. So the, the use of the term knower, um, as you know, was, was gifted by, by Swamiji. Because when we speak about source or pure intelligence or pure awareness or, or God and all of these great and, and vast terms, but to the human mind, that's totally inaccessible. But when we use the term the knower, everyone has a knowing power within them. Like for those who are listening, they're knowing the sound of our voices, so there's a knowing presence. When, you know, when they rise in the morning, they know that they've awoken. When they go through the day, they know, they know through the medium of their senses. And so the knower is such a beautiful introduction given by the Guru because the knower is, in, is the indication of that divinity within us. The knower is our access point to recognize that the knower although appearing to be a mind, like I'm a knower of this room, I'm a knower of my water bottle, I'm a knower of things. We first become aware that I am a knower and that I can take that presence of knowing through sadhana and realize that without the presence of the knower, nothing can be known. Because otherwise I live in the field of the known, the seen, the experienced. But without the presence of the knower, then I can't know anything. So what's most important of our life is this power of knowing. Our practice is to ensure that we sift, because right now that power of knowing is mixed with the movement of mind, and so now I think I'm the knower is the mind or the ego. Our practice is to be able to settle the system and sift this knowing power from the mind. And as I was saying before, 
through the use of pranayam, through the use of breath, bring my power of knowing, which was otherwise made very chaotic and fragmented because of the nature of the mind. And when I bring my knowing power to rest upon the movement of my breath, and I shape my breath in such a way that I lengthen it, or I shorten it, and what it does, it relaxes the mind and then frees the knower from the movement of the mind, and then I recognize that actually the knower is the basis of the pranic movement. Even the, the great prana of what I described in the beginning is merely held in the hands of the knower, which is just knowingness. And so we begin with the knower of something, and then I keep attending something subtler, like, for example, when I'm doing breathing, let's say, I bring my knowing power to the movement of my breath, and I keep the knowing on my movement of my breath, and then my mind will draw that knower to some thought or to some desire, I keep bringing back to the breath. And then I make the breath subtler and subtler, and I keep the knowing power on it. And then at some point, I bring the breath to a point of stillness, which is known as kumbhak, which is the stillness, as I was saying before, of breath. It is in the stillness of breath that the knower is now no longer a knower of something, of some experience. It is left in that stillness just as knowingness. And in that moment, one recognizes the profundity and fullness of the knower. And actually the knower is merely, or pran is merely the expression of the knower. Pran gives the knower the movement to express itself. It's like, simply put, Pran is the creative shakti of the knower. To the knower said, let me create myself as a world. Let me create myself as a Bobby. Let me create myself as a Noah. But in creating itself, using its pranic power to create, it's as if forgot itself in the human system and began to enjoy and rise and suffer and, and at some point say, I need to change the orientation of my, of my life. And so it, it wants to return to its... It's, it's home state. And so the knower is our simple, practical, noble um, guide out of or transforming the human system through our breath and into, as I was saying, we've used this word before, the simplicity and power of, of who we are that's lying in this very moment. This knower that you are in this moment, for those that are listening, the truth of the knower in which you're knowing the sound of my voice. This knower is the knower in all beings everywhere. This knowing power has no beginning or end. Breath begins, breath ends. Body has a beginning, body has an end. Thought begins, thought ends. Everything in this world is mortal. But the truth of this knowing power, it has no beginning and has no end. It is immortal and blissful. And the use of pran is our way of opening to the truth of the knower, which we'll, no call, we'll not call the knower when it's freed from its investment in the known. We just call it then knowingness, pureness, gracefulness, joyfulness. I. Such a spectacular, like, full description <laughs> of the whole manifestation basically that and also the non-manifest that was amazing and i feel like i also had so many more questions coming up about like where like how does that relate to purush and prakriti and all these things but that's another conversation <laughs> that's i think we'd be here for like two more hours <laughs> so i think it's actually like just like a beautiful place to 
wind up. So I, you might remember from last season, I asked for words of wisdom to leave the listeners with, but this season I'm asking the guests to leave us with a point, uh, a question for our self-inquiry. Like if we had to sit on a question or churn on something to really dig the answer and the wisdom for ourselves, which point would you invite us to dig? I mean, I think considering what our um, our subject matter was today in terms of breath, start to look at what the source of breath is. Mm-hmm. Watch that the breath comes in and the breath goes out, but you will find that there are subtle pauses in between both. What is the source of breath? It may Our minds think that it comes from the outside and moves outside, but just to begin to inquire, who is it that's knowing the breathing? Who is it that's knowing the stillness of the breath and those subtle move, subtle pauses where the inhalation becomes exhalation, exhalation becomes inhalation? Who is it that's knowing that? Who knows the movement and who knows the stillness? And recognize that whether the movement is taking place or the stillness is there, one is the knower of that. So I'm not defined by movement or stillness. Start to just keep the fiery, the, the fire of your inquiry. Keep questioning. Don't accept the dictates of our minds, which keep us in, stent, in a state of limitation. Doubt. Doubt the language of the mind. Keep inciting yourself that I am the knower. Question the validity of mind that makes me sense that, I, that, that wants to keep me small or confused. Question the mind and watch the presence of this knower that is there throughout it all. Is this truthful? Is it not truthful? Do I feel in this moment very clear and accessible um, experience? Does this thinking lead me to a state of expansion or contraction? Ask myself that question. If it leads me to expansion, then that's in harmony with the truth of who I am. If it leads me to contraction, don't give reality to it. Change the contraction into expansion by affirming who you are, whether that's done through breath, through mantra, to know that you're the knower. Beautiful. Great point. And just to share with the listeners, I know I'm going to definitely plug the link for episode, I think it was episode six that you were in of the first season, which is crazy because I did 27 episodes. Congratulations. And this is going to be, I don't know, some maybe episode six again, but people can go back and hear your story and more about you and your experience Mm -hmm. as a yogi and how you've dedicated your life to this sadhana. But for anyone that's listening and inspired by your brilliance, because I know I am, you've left me with so much for my own practice, just from working with you and sharing the space with you a few times. So I will just make a point of deep appreciation for your practice which is so sincere and deep and rich and such a gift to the students that you teach which I'm one of them so um, you're going to be traveling to the west this summer so if people want to connect with you and take classes with you is that a possibility absolutely so I have a website called breath of sky uh, breath of and so that's my kind of calling card, my platform. And if they want to reach me via, um, they can do, do so via the website, Breath of Sky. 
but they can reach me also at noah at breathofsky.com. That's my email. And I'll be coming to Toronto in June, the beginning of June. And on the 11th, uh, I think I'll be doing it online. I'll be doing the practice we spoke about earlier about the six healing sounds, uh, utilizing from the Taoist system and how to release the kind of pentapronic um, residue that the emotions kind of get locked or the negative or heavy emotions and how to free them. And so I'm doing that practice. I'm also doing something in response to a, a lot of what I when I've spoken to people in the West, overcoming worry. We can see there's such a predominance of worry. So I'm devoting a two-part workshop towards the end of June. It'll be online called Overcoming Worry. And so that'll incorporate an element of inquiry, like what is worry, what worries, like um and, and again questioning the nature of worry, but also using very practical tools of using um, a Japanese form of acupressure called Jinshin Jitsu, which helps to uh, undo blockages of, of chi or ki in the body, or pran, and working with seated qigong and breath and meditation. Again, all ways to kind of settle the system so we prepare for meditation to be able to recognize that there is that knowing presence in us all that remains completely untouched by the worry or fear that's so predominant. So. It is my, my honor and my joy to share this with anyone who wishes to explore in this way. This is the tradition. For thousands of years, the yogis have been passing this knowledge on, and the tradition is we just keep sharing it to those who want. And so I'm, I'm graced to be able to be in this tradition and, and to share what is so meaningful to me, what inspires me, what I love, what my life is completely dedicated to. And if I can share that with anybody, then my life is, is complete and perfect in that way. Beautiful, and whoever gets done to be on the receiving <laughs> end is also graced because you really are so brilliant, and I just love and appreciate you so much. So right back at you, dear one. Thank you so much, thank and thank I'll you. put breathofsky.com in the show notes and all the contact info, and hopefully we can just keep spreading the word. And That's what we're here for, my friend, exactly. And like you said before, I think you said being a beacon of light and living mm. by example, and I just... That's it. You know what, I think before we sign off, it's like people are going to respond to those who come from a place of authenticity. You know, people, I think souls don't need to be educated as to being taught what to do. It's like when they see someone live the teachings, I know for me that was profound. When I see someone, I don't particularly like this term, but I'll use it anyway, who walks the walk and who talks the talk, who is the, who is the authentic yogi and who can share their stories of how they work through their challenges and what worked for them, I think that becomes so important. We don't need more philosophers, God bless the philosophers, but those who come from a place of, of how they have faced the challenges but with wisdom and with love and with that subtle power and how we can teach each other how to do that. So. We can live through all of the, the challenges in, of, and changes of life. And so just to come from that place, to speak from that place of authenticity. Exactly. Yeah. And you are that. You're like walking the walk. Right back at you, my friend. Right back at you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review. It really helps the show reach more people. 
If you'd like to have your greatest spiritual questions answered on the show, send them to me through social or email. And don't forget to follow on your favorite streaming platforms. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the path together. Music graciously offered by Heidi Herdia Groschler. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.